welcome to Fresh Tech Friday. Um, I'm your host, Tom Gilson. Our guest today is Donald Strand. Donald is a systems administrator for BLT Communications. His IT career started at the age of 15, where he's working in a small store in the Bay Area. We'll get into that in a minute. And um, he's had multiple roles in IT, including uh, being an electronics technician on a submarine, streaming engineer at Akamai, and various sales and support gigs uh, before he landed his current position as a systems administrator at BLT, where he's been working for the last 14 years. Based in LA, loves talking about EVs, professional Overwatch, and sounds like likes to play Minecraft with his eight-year-old, who's way better at it than he is. Welcome, Donald. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. Um, oh, thanks for asking me to be on. All right. What's professional Overwatch? Let's start there. <laughs> What's professional Overwatch? So Overwatch is a, it's a video game that has a pro scene. Like League of Legends has a pro oh, scene. Sure. StarCraft 2 has a pro scene. So Overwatch has a pro scene. I like team-based games. Uh, I love games where I can fulfill a role mm -hmm. and do a job for a team to execute an objective. And so you, you have games like, like Counter-Strike and, and things that are loosely based squad shooters. But Overwatch has these super specific roles. And I love that concept. I love being able to do a thing for a collection of people uh, and whether it's you know support, I'm healing someone, or I'm tanking, I'm I'm creating space for them. Uh, totally my jam. And then it sounds like so you're originally from Berkeley, but now you live in LA. How did you end up yeah. uh, here? I I am down here because of the Navy. I joined the Navy at 17. My my family had a naval background, and they kind of recommended that I I try submarines. Only the top 10% of applicants get accepted into subs. I'm a bright boy. I made it into subs. Uh, you get about a you know half a year of basic electronics training. Then you get about a year and a half of some more advanced electronics training because what they really want you to be able to do on your sub is you're not getting parts, right? So you have to be able to troubleshoot down to the resistor level on eight pieces of gear. Mm -hmm. So we just really, you, you, you get these deep, deep, deep dives into the specific gear sets. Uh, my specialty was navigation equipment, okay. keeping up the, the stuff that told the submarine where it was when it couldn't. Uh, GPS did not exist back then. Right. Uh, so you had to have these uh, big systems to tell you where you were. So I maintained those. That was six years. And uh, I was stationed in Point Loma. Okay. San Diego. I was about to ask, uh, yeah, where you were stationed. Yeah, so I was in, in Point Loma. You know, you when you graduate, they kind of give you the pick mm -hmm. based on your position. And there were there was one Hawaii billet, two San Diego billets, and the rest were for Norfolk. And right. uh, there's another place out east. And so number one in class picked Hawaii. Number two in class <laughs> picked San Diego. Right. I was number three. I picked San Diego. <laughs> Uh, we, we had just spent submarine school is by the way, in Groton, Connecticut. Oh. Groton is awful. Uh, rotten, Groton. Rot the, uh, rotten. So then I sort of just wandered around SoCal. I don't know. I was, a I was a telemarketer for a software of the month club. <laughs> so it's a lot of time with customers <laughs> explaining the concept of shareware. Right. Like, so that sucked. Uh, and, uh, 
then uh, a small stint selling computers, and then I was at Akamai uh, for a little while when dot-coms were really coming up. Mm -hmm. I was an encoding engineer at Akamai and encoding financial streams with like real media or a Windows media encoder. Uh, and then you were dumping them into your into your storage pools. And it's just about managing these streams and, and massaging bit rates and stuff. But I was starting to get into the sock. Uh, so I try to, you know, peek in and see what they're doing. Um, and then the dot-com bubble burst. Oh, so uh, 2,099, so 2,000, right? Yeah, it was 99, uh, yep, uh, two, well, two, 2,000, um, because I remember, I, I got there at 2,000. Uh, and I remember so vividly when 9-11 happened, the SOC found out first yeah. uh, and broadcast it on every single TV we had. And it was just this incredibly sobering moment. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, the bubble burst and they laid off every single person in that office. Uh, I was part of the skeleton crew that wrapped it up, but I was able to kind of turn that little nugget of experience uh, and parlay it into a, a small software uh, systems admin role at a uh, company that made security products for the self-storage industry. Okay. Uh, it was a small company. I think there are about 20 people, and I was the IT guy. I see. But you know when you're the IT You know when you're the sole yeah. IT guy at a small company, your chances of burnout are... Like 100%. Huge. Yeah. Uh, you're working back to ag- back-to-back 80-hour days, and there's just nothing you can do yep. because you're it. And so, burned out. Uh, burned out after a couple of years, but that just gave me so much experience yeah. because doing everything meant you solved every problem, meant you learned every situation. You know, I I, I was administering the QMail server mm-hmm. and then was in charge of the migration over to Exchange on Windows 2000. So you had these these just juicy tech scenarios that you got to just wrangle and and do these dives into. Um, I was into it, but I couldn't take it. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can learn. I've been in the same situation where you're the only person because whatever limitations you have are the, you know, budget, time, you know, whatever your knowledge base is, right? Most of them are outside of your control. And so I don't know, at least I agree with you that you learn so much more during, I don't know how much fun it is but it's certainly challenging and i think you end up at least for me it's like you can learn a lot of stuff in a short period of time and it definitely sounds like you may have had a similar experience but you like get the chance to learn to work within parameters because the truth is like once we're not at home and we're out trying to actually solve problems where people are depending on us it's suddenly there's all these parameters you weren't expecting that are like affecting your ability to execute i had like two jobs like that where i was the only person and one of the companies, they like tripled in size and hadn't really planned it. And there wasn't really a lot of additional budget. So that was great because it taught me how do you keep something operational while basically planning to replace everything at the, at the same time, which was a bit of a juggling act. Yeah, I feel you. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles at this point. The okay. company was in Los Angeles. Um, and I knew some people at BLT. Um, and so I kind of contacted them and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm a windows Linux guy. Uh, what do you got? And they're like, no, no tech positions open, but we do have a runner position. You want to come make the coffee? I'm like, yep, I'll make the coffee. Um, 
So I did the runner thing. And when my shift ended, I would go to the tech department and I would learn Mac. I was a Windows guy. This was my first experience with Mac, really. And so for about a year and a half, I made the coffee, I did the runs, I cleaned the lunches, and then at night, I would learn Macs. And then, you know, that time started creeping, and then all of a sudden it was noon, and I could go into tech uh, doing doing the level one stuff. And uh, I had a, uh, fortunately, I had a great mentor, uh, Michael Morena. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Uh, yeah. friend of BZ Solutions, Michael yeah. Morena. Uh, and when Michael transitioned over to South Park, uh, I was able to, you know, we, we hired another systems admin, but he, he really didn't work out. And so I was like, why don't you just let me try? <laughs> but, um, so uh, I, I was able to, to kind of get into the systems admin role and that's where I've been ever since. Nice. Hey, so um, switching gears to current events a little bit. So you've obviously, you've been in that role for a number of years. You're now, you know, their senior technical resource. Tell me how has technology affected or, or, or helped you guys in your current role? I mean, obviously we've all had to go to this transition of working remotely and there wasn't a whole lot of time to plan. When I've been to your facility, I mean, almost everyone was working in-house, so to speak. You guys didn't have, as far as I know, a large remote presence. You were pretty, um, DZ Solutions was the same way, right? We were very much like, hey, we're all going to work out of this office for cultural and collaborative reasons. So then all of a sudden you have to spread everything out. How has technology helped you? What have you learned during that um, unexpected but very rapid transition? Yeah. So um, yeah, our transition was, uh, for, I, I, I would say it went smoothly. And uh, when this first all started to shake out and we're realizing that, oh yeah, no, we gotta, we gotta get them out. So we had this nice tiered release schedule. I see. Uh, that was, was super effective, headed up by our amazing operations manager. Uh, fortunately, she was, she was uh, great. BLT is a media and entertainment advertising agency. We, we don't have a big tech staff traditionally, right. but we have enterprise scale data needs. And so we were actually in a super solid position. We had done a, a network refresh fairly recently. And just some of the things that, that really stood out during this time was our just rock solid VPN. Uh, we had a banging VPN put in and, and we have two uh, gig lines coming into our office. So we were kind of able to to shuffle some VLANs around and get these flows into place where if you're on our VPN, you are still, you're, you're getting the juice. I'm maxing your line and let's talk about residential internet later. But um, <laughs> you know, the, that, that VPN, the fact that we had no troubles with our VPN essentially uh, was huge and that everybody could get to the network resources that still lived on prem. Cause we got to live on prem right. again, enterprise class data need. Um, and then we had invested into a while back. Uh, we, we were quickly outgrowing our Cario mail server and had made the jump to Office 365. Just in the nick of time, huh? Uh, well, actually, it was a couple of years before this all okay. we, We've been on Office 365 for a while. And um, it was Teams. In the beginning, Teams had its own struggles. And, and yeah, it was included, but who knows how to use it? Right. And if you were a Mac shop, 
you were probably using your internal iChat server, right? right? Running off a mini and yeah. everybody just uses uh, iChat and then was messages. Uh, but it was free because that's uh, when OSX server actually did things. And so you're running an iChat server, but then we outgrew the iChat server. So then you're looking at HipChat, you're looking at RocketChat, you're looking at Mattermost, you know, these, these on-prem solutions for messaging. And we actually uh, worked with HipChat for a little while uh, before Teams rolled around. And then it was like, well, you're gonna, if you're jumping into this platform, you better look at Slack. And so I did a big cost comparison against Teams versus Slack. And, and here's how we'd have to run it. And here's the free, you know, we couldn't get away with the free. We'd have to get the right. paid and uh, because of archiving and because of data retention and all this stuff. Um, and I pushed for Teams and I got the buy-in and it grew from this tiny little piece of just, yeah, it's just replacing iChat. Try, you know, this will just uh, ease up on your email. That was our goal. Right? We just didn't want so much email floating around when you could just type a message. But it became something we just can't live without now. The collaborative features in channels, the great video experience that, that now is now great. It didn't start out great. Right. But we've grown, you know, Teams has exponentially grown uh, within these uh, past few months. And it's just been great. It's a lifesaver. Which is a great segue into my next question, actually. So we've learned same situation for us and many of our clients where even if there was a very, like, two humans in the same room centric culture, you know, we've we've been forced to innovate or learn a new way of doing things. So that was sort of your cutover, right? And some things that you learned from it. What, you know, long term, are there some things you think will be permanently changed now about your workplace culture and technology? Or like, what do you think that means long term, even after, say, we start some kind of phased return back to work in the office? Um, I don't know. I, what, what really needs to get better for all this to, in, in my opinion, for M&E shops, uh, what has to happen before all that before we get to participate in that is that residential internet has to get better and it has to get better right now. Yeah. Uh, we need nationwide broadband for everyone and it has to be decent. Uh, when we, we, when we were settling people in their homes and explaining the care and feeding of, of how you're going to work, we, we check speeds. We check the internet speeds of these residential people and they were atrocious. Yeah. Uh, I'm a gamer. I'm a nerd. I'm never going to have not the best internet oh, I can I get. Yeah. I'm always at the top. I was sort of insulated from the horror of what's really out there for residential internet. People who still have like a digital subscriber line or a two meg circuit or something, yeah, right? They're just we're, like we're going suffering. Into homes. Yeah, we're going into homes and they've got like 15 down and one up. And you're like, oh, you're never getting in a JPEG to us, are you? So that's that's got to change. It, we, we just need a, a more robust internet for our workers to yep. enable them to get us done. If you have these immediate data needs, I don't know if you get that. I don't know if you get that like us. Uh, we when we, sh when we when we were shaking this out, um, you know, we we have these these high speed data needs uh and we we did a lot of testing around cloud storage right right cloud storage you don't have to be on the vpn for it 
It's an immediate connection. And yeah, you're on your residential line, but at least you're not getting a little piece of it stolen uh, by being on a VPN. Sure. But it is inconsistent and slow. And we kept running into issues with designers trying, you know, testing out these these workflows that we were like, hey, in theory, this totally works. Do this. And they're like, no, that sucked. But but you know what didn't suck? Our on-prem storage. Yeah, I think our on-prem storage was was solid, never dipped, never flagged. Uh, and is available twenty four seven. So it still it still rules. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point. Certain workflows getting moved to the cloud is just an issue of bits and bytes, and the issue isn't even always speed. Sometimes it's latency. But those are math problems that can be figured out with software eventually. And I actually know a few people in stealth mode who are like coming out of cloud providers. They're coming out of the entertainment industry, taking on challenges like take a really difficult workflow, right? We're going to make color grading in the cloud like a real thing that's doable. But you make an interesting point, which is if in parallel, people's ability to access, because you can only do so much with the math at the end of the day, if the lowest common denominator is the home internet. If you have a one meg circuit, it doesn't matter how incredible your cloud is. So, and the thing that I noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, there's a bunch of different kinds of circuits and uh, there's the whole upload versus download where usually they're not symmetrical, right? When you're when you're connecting from home. But the other thing I've noticed is the like average number of milliseconds of latency is just completely unacceptable on most of these inexpensive home circuits. There have been some famous internal presentations at like Facebook, Google, Amazon, where they start to realize that the limitation of the TCP IP stack, we can keep increasing speed, but at, the faster it gets, the more the problem of latency becomes, I guess, uncovered, if you will, because of the way that TCP acts work. So now we have whole oh, yeah. whole transport applications dedicated to undoing the way that TCP IP works so that it works better. So I don't know. It's like, it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out. But you're right. I mean, if I was, uh, if I had whatever, $300 billion and I was going to innovate something, it would be better internet for people's home because that, that suddenly That's became great. really important, didn't it? Yep. And yeah, you know, we're going to, we'll, we'll be able to, I, I think some roles, some roles will get transitioned to full time at home. Uh, you, you don't have to deal with dailies. Yeah, maybe yeah. for most of us with those high availability data needs, I think it's going to look different. You know, before, before we had offices with three iMacs and maybe our new normal is that same office. You now, now these people have laptops and they kind of just rotate around. Uh, dependent on the data needs of the day. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so with that said, and I don't care if it has anything to do with the pandemic, but technology trends, right? Anything, yeah. any, what are you most excited about in terms of like new stuff coming out? There's, um, I think, I think the, a big trend that we all need to, to do more of is letting people uh, make tech decisions. And there's uh, one of the, one of the best talks I've seen all year was out of this uh, year's RSA by uh, Wendy Mather. And she has a talk on democratizing security. And it starts out like, what were we thinking? You know, you, you and I, Tom, we were there at the beginning. Why did we make all the decisions? Just because we were programmers, just because we understood the tech. You know, we were the only ones who understood it. 
But then we decided that we were also the only ones to make the policy. There, there, there's a line in her speech that goes, we were not wizards and they are not muggles. Like they are real folks capable of security decisions if we let them. Mm-hmm. We need to empower our users to, to sort of make these informed decisions because uh, everything's in their hands now. The horse is out of the barn and they're using the same stuff now. I have an Office 365 subscription at work. I have an Office 365 subscription for my home. They're the same. It's no longer about control. It's about collaboration. Our work and lives, they're just mashed together. And it's it's sometimes, it's great in in one aspect because everybody gets to leverage these technologies and other aspects, it's horrible because our technologies that now they want to use, we exerted this crazy amount of control over. Right. That might not have been the best way for them to work, but was in the best way that we wanted them to work. If you're using Greg Nagel's, you know, monkey, if you got monkey in a box, congratulations, you've democratized your apps. You've let go of some of that control over, oh, I can't give a person Firefox. They're going to, they're going to crap it up. Uh, No, that person wants to work secure. We as humans want to work securely. But we don't want it to be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole like security, flexibility, performance. And if you turn the security knob all the way up, (laughs) nobody can make any decisions for themselves and everything's super slow. So it's like you got to turn that that knob down. I got a a two-factor the other day from some company. I got a two-factor code that was nine digits. (laughs) And I was like, why is this code nine digits? And it's nine digits. Because someone in that company, yeah. one of us, was like, yep, nine digits. That's yeah. secure. They didn't pull users. They weren't like, hey, what? Did, or maybe they did. Maybe they did some crazy complicated math based on their DevOps team and, and decided that nine was the number. But there are two-factor apps that are also doing it right, like Authy and then the Office 365 Authenticator. And the Office 365 Authenticator is just, hey. It's me, your boy, Office 365. You cool? And you get to mash a button that says yes. That's security that everybody can participate in. Sure. And isn't you getting a personal SMS with a nine-digit code? Yep. Now, if you're going to wire $10,000 from one bank account to another, that makes sense. If you're just grabbing your email, yeah, maybe we can turn that down a little bit. So it also depends on what you're doing. We, we keep we keep training our users on, on, on all this stuff, but if we simplify our systems so that they just get to use them, that's the trend I'm excited about. Well, that's cool. That's, that's a really good point. And yeah, I mean, the other thing I've noticed, at least with myself, is when security becomes too difficult, I just find a way around it. Like at some oh, point, yeah. I'm just like, you mentioned democratizing. That's at some point when it becomes like, security is a dictator. I'm like, well, I'm just going to find a way. I'm just not going to pay attention to any of these rules. And that the last thing that we want to do is IT professionals that are, you know, these, these people, even internally at every job I've ever had, I always try to think of people as customers. 
And like, you know, you, you can't treat your customers that way internally or externally. Um, we're getting a little bit tight on time. And I know that you're pretty passionate about this um, nonprofit that you're involved in. So rather than uh, me try to describe it and butcher it, can you tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about it and how any of our attendees uh, would be able to help? Absolutely. Uh, I love talking about this. Uh, so when this all, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, a lot of shops, you know, we saw a lot of our friends lose positions and and employment's tight right now in our industry uh, because of of the fact that movies all shut down for a while, and so we hated seeing our friends uh, get sort of lost around along the way. Several of the shop owners in town, including uh, one of our owners, started a nonprofit called the Alliance LA. Uh, and that can be found at thealliancela.org. And it is a organization built by creatives for creatives to find employment leads, but also equipment. You know, if you've been a, if you've been at a shop for a while, you may be relying on the shop's machine and have stopped freelancing. You might not have a really rockin' monitor at home. You might not have a good Wacom tablet at home. And so we're kind of where we're accepting donations right now of kind of gently used but still modern equipment so that these workers who might not have had uh, good equipment because they were relying on their shop to provide it, we kind of try to get them a leg up and try to get them some of this equipment so they can go back to being freelance, getting their art out, actually being able to work on projects from home on these these things that that they probably didn't have before we also try to organize community training events you know we've got some excellent uh photoshop people who are willing to donate their time uh for some one-on-one -on -one training sessions to kind of tool up for the for the modern workforce and so yeah if you can give your time if you can give uh, some gently used computer equipment this is not a dumping ground for your old printer <laughs> right. but we'll take a good one and we plan to provide scholarships in the future and all this can be found at thealliancela.org uh thanks for pasting that in the chat yep that's a good uh, shot for those of you that um that are joining us live yeah and fyi we'll We'll, I'll reach out um, under separate cover, but we probably have some stuff we can donate to you guys. Awesome. Yeah, if you could donate. And and if anybody is listening uh, that is in the Los Angeles area that does need help with this stuff, please uh, reach out, you know, Ed, because we'd love to help. Right. Cool. Well, we're, uh, we're getting to the end here. I super appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for doing this. And as often happens, even though I've known you for, I want to say, almost 10 years, if not more, I learned. Like two, I had. No idea you were in the Navy. Thank you very much for your service. Really <laughs> appreciate it. And I was, uh, uh, it, it was a weird time. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know you were from Berkeley. So, so two two last questions as as we head out. First is, mm -hmm. what is your favorite punk rock band of all time? And the other is, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, favorite uh, punk band is 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 actually right there. Oh, uh, it is the Misfits. Misfits. Uh, I. <laughs> I have seen them love it. Uh, half a dozen, you know, a dozen times or so, ten times. I don't know. Uh, I, I I love them. I've always loved them. Uh, that's my favorite punk band of all time. I do listen to a lot of stuff. I, I was actually all, all last night prepping for this. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of a, a Bay Area band called The Avengers. They were of course. In the 70s. Yeah, they had the, the female singer with the short blonde yeah. hair. I had that album. Yeah. That, had the red cover. Did, that's like, that was a great album, did, man. 
Did you know that one of our techs when I first got here was the bassist for the Avengers? I did not know that. No, that's cool. Uh, you probably met him here and had no idea. Uh, Jimmy Wilsey, uh, oh, who wow. then went on to do, uh, he worked with Chris Isaacs. Remember Wicked Game? Yeah. That's him. Oh, wow. And that's he really cool. was our head of deployment uh, and actually headed our tech. Uh, for a while and so uh kind of in his honor uh he passed a couple years ago but in his honor i was i was listening to avengers all night yeah i love that record that band and this weekend i don't know it's hollywood you know it's 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 halloween right yeah but it's a super weird time i know i don't there's there's drive-through trick-or-treating apparently there's drive-through trick-or-treating my my kid's not too into it i think we're just gonna have a we're gonna paint some pumpkins and we're gonna just sort of watch some scary movies uh maybe the witches on netflix i don't know that's a good movie yeah Yeah. well listen donald thanks a lot for doing this i really appreciate it so donald strand everybody from blt and associates and again um for those of you uh listening to the podcast of this later you can go to the alliance la.org uh, to help out the Alliance organization for um, artists that are affected by the current COVID-19 pandemic. So with that said, again, Donald, thanks a lot for doing this. I hope everybody has a great weekend and thanks for joining Fresh Tech Friday. This is Tom G and Donald Strand signing off. Great weekend, everybody. Thanks again for joining this week's episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. I want to thank Jason Johnson for composing our theme music RSPE, and especially Russ for help with some engineering and equipment, Dell Technologies for helping sponsor some episodes of the podcast, Kayla Robeson, DZ Solutions Marketing Director for helping make this all possible, and last but not least, our fearless audio engineer, Jeff Rockland, engineering from afar. If you want to learn more about Jeff and his projects, I encourage you to check out his Relief Valve podcast that you can find wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again, and see you next time.